Well, good morning. This video was one of several that were played at the uh, national, the every three-year conference that the fellowship, the network that we're a part of uh, has. And uh, this thing moves every Sunday, doesn't it? Oh, there it is. Okay. And um, so anyway, I thought that one was pretty, pretty interesting. He was a church planner, obviously, of a past generation uh, in a small town sitting in the cafe. And yeah, it was good to hear the story. Um, this morning, again, we're glad you're here. I, I think I introduced myself already. We are going, starting a new series this morning, and there, in your newsletter every Sunday, there is an outline of the teaching and uh, some notes for home church. A lot of the home groups, uh, this is sort of prep for your group as well, so you're not reading another thing, uh, but going deeper with Sunday morning teaching and wrestling with that. So whether it's me or guests or members of our church speaking, we always provide that, and so you can follow along. I want to tell you a story uh, to kind of set the tone for this uh, first message in the series in May of this year, it was reported that uh, Sonny Donnie Smith, age 38, uh, who had been left out of a family event in Oregon, got his revenge on the rest of the family. Donnie Smith was sentenced to three years probation for what he did to get revenge on his family. He dialed in a terrorist threat that implicated his father and his brother who were both traveling through airports at the time. Just let that soak in for a minute. In the States, calling in a terrorist threat on your family traveling through airports. You know that, doesn't, that won't end well. He placed two anonymous phone calls to McCarran International Airport in Las Vegas and Midland International Air and Spaceport in Midland, Texas. Smith's father and brother were detained and questioned as part of an investigation which eventually yielded no evidence of terrorist activity. Father and brother were not actually terrorists. The temporary detention caused Smith's brother to miss his flights. The U.S. District Judge Anna Brown was reserved in her words to Smith, I hope you appreciate what you did really did disrupt not just your family, but the whole system, she said to him. Smith who called it in, was tearful and apologetic as he stood before the court and his attorney, Todd Bufferding, requested that his sentence not include community service because Smith's emotional needs were so pressing. Bufferding claimed his client suffers from high levels of anxiety and has been prescribed anti-anxiety, anti-psychotic medication. As if to confirm his counsel's advocacy, Smith's burst into tears at the end of the hearing. I think this story fascinates me because this family should have all been for each other and if different things were happening uh, there should have been a certain level of communication and I don't know all of the backstory with uh, Mr. Sony Smith's family but he called in a terrorist threat on his own family because he was upset about something in families and in doing life together there should be a sense of unity at some level of who we are And if we think about the spiritual family, I often wonder in the church if we're uh, doing three steps forward, two steps backwards, because sometimes we're calling in fake terrorist threats on each other and getting worked up about the wrong things. How do you avoid that? Well, learning personal peacemaking in Matthew 18 is a hallmark of what Christians should do, that we go to one another first and that we follow that process. Um, But... I think another aspect is learning what does unity, what causes unity in the body. And I think being clear about who we are and who Jesus has called us to be is part of that. To that end, 
There was a team formed last fall called the Visioning Team here at Pilgrim. As we are looking at our new future together and moving into good things uh, together in our community, and that visioning team came up with revamped sort of our mission statement and came up with a vision statement for the church and some key values that they identified through prayer, through study, through laughter, through tears, really wrestling with this. This then was, I think there were five people in that group, then they presented it to the board. The board had sanctioned this group. And the board then went through this as well and did some tweaks on it and also affirmed these statements. So about 11, 12 core leaders of our church, which is a pretty big segment of our leadership team in this church. And so they asked me after they went through this and sort of affirmed this and approved this if I would teach on it on Sunday, and then we will also be using it to communicate. It's up on the website. It'll be used in various ways, probably banners in here and outside eventually, about who we sense that God has called us to be as a people. And so for the next three Sundays, we want to unpack this as we start this new season, uh, both in the life of our church and in the life of uh, the fall and all of that in our larger community as well. The first message this morning is going to be about the mission of the church. The second message will be next Sunday about the vision as we drill it down and get more specific in how we at Pilgrim are going to live out what we're going to talk about today. And the third one, we'll talk about values that this church has identified Now, the mission is something that almost every Orthodox little old Christian church should share. I've told the story before. I preached a sermon very similar to this uh, as as mission and vision and values tend to leak. And so we need to be reminded of this in a church uh, that was going through renewal itself. And most of the church was quite excited and some non-Christians and new people. And, and, but at the end of the service, a couple that had been in that church forever, uh, well, maybe not forever, but for a very long time, uh, came up to me and said, Pastor, I, I hear you saying that this church is not for us. And I was preaching very similar to what I'm going to share this morning and straight up out of the Gospels, Jesus teaching, not controversial at all. And, and I said, well, what do you mean? And, well, this, this great commission, this sharing, this Jesus being, this is not for us. This is, this is not who we want to be as a church. And they had wielded power in that church and intimidated people for a very long time over third level and fourth level things. And that was indeed their last Sunday. And I blessed them, talked with our elders, and we put a letter together saying, we bless you. May you find a church where you can serve joyfully. And we meant it. Because that church would not move forward if you had key people who claimed Christ denying essential aspects of his teaching and unity in the body. I'm not saying that that I expect anyone here to go. But be aware as you hear this, where is your heart in it? What is the Lord speaking to you? What are you hearing in your mind? Because the things we're going to talk about in the next three sermons are vitally important to having a true source of unity. We don't want to be calling fake terrorist threats on each other in the body as we seek to do Jesus' work and to love our city well. Amen? So let me read to you a passage from Psalm 133, and then I want to jump into the main points this morning. Uh, Normally, I like to rotate doing passages where we go verse by verse and then some topical. This is all topical, where we start with a topic and ask, what does the scripture say about it? Psalm 133 is very simple, and then we're going to turn to Matthew in just a moment. But in Psalm 133, a song of ascents, a song used for worship as the people would have gone up to Jerusalem to worship within ancient Judaism, uh, to the temple for some of the seasonal festivals, it's, they, would, they would sing this song or chant this song. And it, and it says this, how good and how pleasant it is, how good 
and how pleasant it is. I don't know about you, but I need more goodness and pleasantness in my life. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. A song of worship. Maybe we need to sing it. And then verse 2 says, it's like the precious oil poured out on the head and running down on the beard. I know I've been growing a beard this summer into the fall. Some people have noticed who I just got here after having summer break. Don't let it scare you. It scares me a little bit. But it's like precious oil poured out on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. And Aaron, of course, is referring back to ancient, ancient Israeli, Israeli history and Aaron and Moses and the priesthood, uh, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is this, the dew of Hermon, a mountain, the, the, the refreshing water coming down in the morning. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. So these images of oil, which is precious oil of blessing and abundance, uh, unity is like that. It is a precious thing that we should desire and we should seek running down and overflowing. It is the dew, it is the water that sustains and refreshes falling on the mountains. And then the last part of verse 3 says this, For there the Lord bestows, or some older translators say, commands his blessing, even life forevermore. There's something about a group of people that are unified. Not all uniform. We're unique, and we want to honor that. We'll get into that a little bit as well. But there is something powerful about an aligned group of people that makes a difference in the world. We know this in the natural. We see it, whether we look at our political parties, whether we look at neighborhood associations, whether we look at those things. We know, but the church has always been sort of a base, basic community. And the essential is having a sense of who we are and what is our center. And when we are clear about that, there is a blessing that we walk into, a sense of abundantness, a sense of joy, a sense of even levity, a sense that, that we are walking in something that God is smiling on and it is empowering for us. And so there God commands the blessing. So let's talk a little more this morning about our mission and our unity. I want to pray and then I'm just going to unpack this. Father, thank you that you are here in this place. And thank you that this is a holy moment, a, as we were talking with the worship team this morning, the liminal place, a place where the sense of the spiritual and the physical are, are, are known in a more unique way when we gather together in real bodily community and proximity with one another and intention. And Lord, I'm a saint and sinner in process, and I cannot do this in my own strength. I can't change anyone's heart or mind. But I know that your word, rebreathed by your Holy Spirit in this context, through what the apostle said is the foolishness of preaching and the worship of the gathering of all of us, that you can do amazing things. And so do your wonders in our midst, in our hearts, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Amen. Unity. For there the Lord commands his blessing. Larry Osborne, a church pastor, planter, leadership guy, said this about the roles of unity in the church and that oftentimes the issues are personalities, learning that God blesses us as we grow with more unique, distinct personalities and working through what does that mean when we communicate well together. But there's also spiritual warfare involved. There's also principalities. (laughs) 
There's the warfare that God, or that, that there is a force out there that does not want churches and people to walk in unity and in relationship one another. That is an active war within each of our hearts and even outside, sort of in the spiritual realm as well. And he said, this as a pastor, it's my job to help people move along to spiritual maturity to make sure that as a church, we're fulfilling both halves of the Great Commission, leading people to Christ and nurturing them onto full obedience in him. And he said, there's many obstacles in churches regarding unity. There's division, there's turf battles, there's bitterness that sabotage the work of the Holy Spirit. And that one of the goals of pastoral ministry in Ephesians 4 of equipping the people is to help us work through conflict and do it in a healthy way. For those of you that know, I have some Mennonite background. And one of the things that are emphasized in that tradition is that biblical peacemaking is not optional. And that nobody really wants to live in a war zone in their own home. Yes, sometimes we need to have real conflict and work through it. But we learn to steward conflict for the greater good, for the sense of the things that God has called us to do together. Both in our individual lives, in our friend networks, in our families, and in the local church. This place ought to be a place where our neighbors know they can come to have another resource to work through what they're, what, what's going on in their lives, both the good and the bad. And so there's different aspects of unity that we need to work on. But today we're talking about the big concept. Why do we get off mission, if you're following along on the outline? What gets us off the sense of God's mission for us as a people? Well, one of it is, I think, we need to be reminded of it is because we get comfortable We've been doing things a certain way for so long that we sort of forget why we're doing them or why we did them in the original, uh, the, the, originally. You know, the old story of the, the, the woman who receives the pan from her mother and, um, and, and she, every Christmas they have a ham and they always cut the ham in a certain place um, and, and she didn't know why she cut the, the ham that way. Uh, and she, rather, she didn't receive that. I just murdered that story. But anyway, she cut the ham in a certain way. And it goes on, and she finally asks her, she, she passes on the, this tradition of cutting the ham in a certain way to her daughter uh, in this family. And it goes, uh, the story goes that the daughter asks the grandmother, why do you always cut the ham this way? And she says, it's because the original pan I had, I had to cut the end of the ham off in order for it to fit. And by the third generation, it had became... A ritual, an act of, of, of almost reverence in their Christmas family preparations. Sometimes we get so comfortable doing something, we forget why we're doing it, what was the purpose, and, and does it matter today? So I think sometimes we get off mission that we're going to define here towards the end because this purpose, this sense of mission leaks We had some interesting discussions about different modes of communion this week with many different people, and and fascinating fascinating discussions. Um, Instrumentation, we talked about that two weeks ago. Um, Pews versus chairs, buildings versus auditoriums or schools or homes, all of these things, uh, they can become sort of ritualized. They can become uh, uh, traditions, but they're lowercase t traditions. They're not capital T traditions that are passed on by the saints all the ages going all the way back. So we have to wrestle with this. We get into comfort. Well, we always did it that way. Does it line up with the mission? Often, we put burdens on people based on our comfort that they should never have to bear. When Christianity crosses cross-culturally, and it's always cross-culturally, from all the way back into the New Testament... One of the earliest debates in the early church was how much should Jewish people who have come to follow Christ impose aspects of Jewish tradition and custom on Gentiles who are now following Christ. 
The book of Acts, we have the first great Jerusalem church council wrestling with this issue. And they came down to it and basically said uh, uh, that, you know, the only things they do, don't, don't worship the idols, and I forget what the other one was, but they kept it down to like two things that were required out of all of the 636 issues of the law within Judaism. This first council was about, well, what do, do Gentiles have to follow all these Jewish customs? And the answer was basically, absolutely not. Circumcision is not required. Baptism is required. I mean, these things they wrestled with came through it, so this is not a new discussion. The distraction, I think, is another issue why we forget about mission. We get distracted by other things in our lives. Good things, but they get us off of great things, both in our personal mission that God has for us and our mission as a body. Purpose leaks when we disconnect our daily lives from the Spirit of God and freedom and wonder. Margaret Heffernan reports that an evolutionary biologist at Purdue University named William Murr studied chickens. And he was interested in productivity, so he decided he wanted to study these chickens. And I think that's something that concerns us all, chickens. Uh, It's easy to measure in chickens because you just have to count the eggs. And so he wanted to know what could make his chickens more productive. So he devised a beautiful experiment with chickens. I think we're Vancouver. You can have chickens in the city, right? Yeah? Oh, yeah? Do we have any chicken growers or chicken raisers? What you, I don't, chicken farmers? I don't know. In, okay. Chicken growers. <laughs> you can tell I am not. <laughs> uh, I have rel- relations who were farmers, but not, my, not me. I've been on the farm. Um, I can tell you a sheep castration story sometime, but not this morning. <laughs> Chickens live in groups. So first of all, he selected an average flock of chickens and he let it alone for six generations. But then he created a second group uh, uh, based on the individually most productive chickens. You could call them the super chickens. And he put them together in a super flock and each generation he selected the most productive for breeding. After six generations had passed, what did he find? Well, the first group, the average group was doing just fine. They were all plump, fully feathered, egg production had increased dramatically. But the second group of super chickens, well, all of them but three were dead. They pecked the rest to death. Now, if I could just have an in-house chat about Baptists for a moment. (laughs) Unity is important. Why are we doing what we're doing? What, are, what is it to cause us flourishing and thriving? Or are we pecking each other to death? Let us not be those kind of chickens, as it were. I'm tempted to say, look at your neighbor and say, don't be one of those chickens. Uh, <laughs> be chicken in the right way. <laughs> so mission leaks, vision leaks, we can be blind to it. And, and then there's also just straight up sinfulness, brokenness. Purpose leaks when we forget that we're all people, all common humanity, all with common distortions, sicknesses of the mind and body. Jesus comes to reveal and heal these through time and sometimes just through letting us soak in grace. The mission of the church can leak out of a local church through self-centeredness. It must be my style, my preference, my program, my packaging. In one sense, yes, it is all of our church, but in another sense, we're reminded in the mission we're about to, to talk about this morning or to end with this morning that it really isn't our church. We, we are stewards for a season, but there is one Lord of the church, and his name is Jesus. I know 
we're reserved folk here, but if you want to say amen at that point, you can do that. (laughs) There is one Lord of the church, and his name is Jesus. Well, that was kind of fun. Thanks. Sometimes we have a personal crisis of faith in our own spiritual lives, and then we sort of project it onto everyone else. Now, it's good to be a safe place where we can wrestle with doubts and real questions. Certainly our home churches, certainly some of our teaching, lots of other resources out there. But we have to be careful that we don't project our faith crisis onto everyone else and assume that that's how the whole church needs to operate. So we wrestle with that as well. Sharing our faith, serving, leaning on the faith of others. Sometimes you need to borrow someone else's faith. That's the joy of community as you're wrestling with things in your life. And that is powerful. But we have to be careful about not letting the whole church get derailed because I'm having a crisis of faith. Rather, the church needs to have a safe place for ones to wrestle with that. But be careful lest we define our whole mission around that. So what ha- I want, let me just add a few more things before we get to the last part here. Why, why bother with a mission, vision, and value statement? Isn't that super corporate, Shell? Uh, are you trying to turn this church into a, a mega church? Are you trying to turn this church into, I don't know, a franchisee of Tim Hortons, but the spiritual version of it? Are you? No, not at all. I think you see the concepts for mission, vision, and values in Scripture pretty clearly, and that's more modern language to speak about it, but what we're going to read as we, we into this morning, we'll focus on this. But let me just say this, when you don't define who you are and who you sense God is mission, the biggest picture, which we'll talk about, vision where we drill it down, what does it mean, what are we leaning into our future here as a church, and then values that help us, guide us in making decisions about ministry and strategies and programs and all the other stuff. If you don't define it, you will still have one, Uh, And a lot of different people call that a shadow mission or a shadow vision because there's always something that wants to fill that void in in our lives, whether our lives as individuals or our lives as a church. If you're not clear on some of the purpose aspects of your life and values that you hold, other things will come in. There will be other people and other forces with agendas that want to uh, steamroll whatever it is that you may sense. So you get clear on it. It allows you to have holy pushback and say, no, this is who I'm called to be. This is what I believe God has called us as a people to be. And these are the things that we will use to guard the gate in terms of who we are as a people and who we desire to be. If we don't have clarity on this, shadow missions and purposes sneak in. If I asked you this morning about what is the mission or vision of Pilgrim Church, if I, if I did, I won't put anyone on the spot. It would be a fun exercise to do, but I, because I love you and, and I hope you love me, I'm not going to do that. But if I went through this room and asked everyone, what do you think the mission, even if this is your first time here, what do you, why do you think this church exists? I would probably get 150 different answers, and there's not that many people in this room. Some of you would have multiple And some of them would be hopefully aligned with what we're sharing here, and some of them may be completely, for lack of a better word, just out there. (laughs) Why do we exist? If I asked you why you go to Pilgrim, there would be good things and things that are probably not so great. I want us to understand that the purpose, the mission, vision, and values of the church should not ever be things like I go to the church simply because of the building or the style of music. I don't go to the church because they run program X, Y, or Z. I go to the church because of something bigger than that. 
And, and that bigger thing can help us define music and programs and those other things for each season of life in the church. But those things are things that are sort of means to the bigger ends of what we want to be clear on as a body in this new season. It's never really a choice between no mission and a mission, but rather who and what is your unstated mission. Churches all over North America are in decline because they may even have a mission statement, but they don't necessarily know it or make decisions based on it. But their mission statement is we're just trying to hold it together. We're just trying to keep it together just for another week. Keep the lights on for another season. Keep the, keep, keep the plates spinning in the air. And I'll tell you what, nobody in their right mind after time is enthused by that or wants to pour their life into that. Nobody wants to keep a club going just for the sake of keeping the club going. The good news is Jesus hasn't called us to be that kind of club or a club at all. Well, I have more that I want to say, but let me share with you another story and then we'll get into alignment and the mission. In her book, Grapes of Wrath or Grace, Barbara Borkhoff tells the story of a group of American tourists who were taking a bus tour in Rome led by an English-speaking guide. She goes on and says their first stop was a basilica in a piazza which was surrounded by several lanes of relentless Roman traffic. And after they were all dropped off safely, the group climbed the steps for a quick look at this church and they spread out to board the bus which was now parked across the street from the church, bus across the busy street. And the frantic guide shouted for the group to stay together. He hollered out to them, you cross one by one, they hit you one by one. But if you cross together, they will think you will hurt the car. They won't hit you. (laughs) Sometimes at Pilgrim, we're crossing the busy street one by one. And sometimes it's some of us driving the cars hitting each other. But, uh, you know, some of not most of us, but there's a few, you know. But if you cross together, there's power in that. Carrie Newhoff, who's a Canadian church consultant and was a pastor, uh, out in Ontario, in, in, in Barrie, he talks about the importance of alignment in a church. And I shared this at our retreat last year. And he says, everybody's in favor of aligning their organization or their church, but few people seem to be able to pull it off. He said, churches that get serious about this experience great power. And he says, alignment does a few things for us. And just hang with me as I read these, this list and then... As we close out, he said, alignment creates a badly needed dividing line. Everything, being everything to everyone is pretty much the same thing as being nothing to everyone. Being everything to everyone is pretty much the same thing as being nothing to everyone. He said, few groups struggle with this more than the church. Alignment forces us to be about a few defined things rather than being about everything, which is really doing nothing because you're doing nothing well. And once you choose the things you're going to do in a line around it, people who want you to be about everything will sometimes leave, and that's okay. We can't be about everything. Even if we were 20,000 people, even if we were the size of Joel Olstein's church in Houston, some would not consider that a church, but whatever, uh, another day, even if we were that size, they can't do everything, and you would probably find more alignment in their organization than many small and floundering churches across North America. We do this, we will not do this. Last night, I went to the uh, book signing for April Yamasaki, who was writing about four gifts about self-care. And one of the things that she uh, suggests in there is this idea of have a list of things that you will not do. 
We also read this in a leadership book by a much older Larry Osborne, this idea of have a list of things that you will not do as a person. I will not, in her case, she used the example, I will not do online surveys. As interesting as the Facebook survey is about all of the places I visited or which Star Trek character I'm most like or which Lord of the Rings character I'm most like or which, uh, you know, whatever, pick your one of the, I, I just won't do that because it's time. And I've decided that's on my I will not do list. It's a simple, silly example, but it's a good one. As a church, we need to have those things. Alignment creates a dividing line. Once you choose the things you're going to do and who you're going to be, the people who want you to be about everything will sometimes leave, but a line always means that you'll accomplish more. The second thing he says about alignment and sort of this big picture stuff, he says alignment forces out personal agendas. He said when an organization, when a church becomes clear about the main priority for everyone, it forces out competing personal agendas. Everything from politics to selfish personal goals gets squeezed out. I remember in church planting early on those days, that I would have people come to me. We were growing a church from scratch, uh, grew it to about 230 people over some years. But when we first started out, every once in a while, I'd get a group from another church that was disgruntled that would show up. And I will not forget one of these days, there was this whole group that showed up as we were launching in a school in this middle part of a, of a town. And, and they said, well, we, our church just went through this, that, and the other thing, and we're looking for a church. And they came as a group like that. And thankfully, I had good training and, and uh, church planting training in the Alliance. Otherwise, I don't know how I would have received this. Um, but they came and, and they had an agenda. And when we made it clear, we knew who we are. We knew who our team was, our board, our group, our gathered, our, our launch team. Uh, we never saw them again. We welcomed them, said, if you want to align with this, you're welcome. But if you come in with this agenda, you need to go back and get healing because you're going to take that toxicity into every place you go until you get healed with whatever you're hurt in the church you just left. Which I remind you, by the way, as churches work through this, And as we work through it, there is no perfect church. There is no perfect pastor. If you come to Pilgrim and think, I'm a perfect pastor, oh, let me take you out for coffee, okay? (laughs) So there's that sense of if you don't deal with those things, you'll take them with you into wherever you go. Alignment forces out personal agendas. Number three, Carrie says, alignment does not mean full agreement. It means full focus. Yes, we're unique and diverse as people. And in fact, that's one of the values we'll unpack on the third week, the biblical version of that. But alignment helps us understand. It means full focus on what we are doing together. You still have all kinds of free time to do all kinds of other things as well. Number four, he says, alignment removes all excuses. He said in his church, they had several staff join their team who used to be part of less aligned churches. And once you get those teams aligned, your excuses for progress disappears. You've got to stop blaming when you're clear on what you are and who you desire to be. And fifth, he names alignment allows you to harness more creativity, not less. He said this one, and I'll, I'll end with this one, and then we'll talk about the mission. Counterintuitively, against what you would normally think, having a common mission and strategy means that your church can harness greater, not less creativity because we agree on direction and priorities. We spend more time getting creative about getting the work done instead of wasting hours and hours on what we should actually do. So alignment helps a church be more creative and accomplish more things. So I want to encourage you this morning to be clear about this and win these next three Sundays as we unpack this. So let me end with the final thing. What is our mission? We've defined a mission statement, a vision statement, and values. 
And the mission statement is sort of the broadest overarching one of these statements. In fact, I would be so bold as to say, if you go into any church that claims Jesus and some version that sounds or looks like this does not exist, you should ask, why do they exist? And so for us, we decided, let's just go straight to something we see in almost every denomination's belief statement or mission statement. We see in the action of the church in the Gospels and in Acts as the church is being launched, we see a clarity on their mission. And going for us, it meant going to the words of Jesus himself. And so we read in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 22, if you want to turn there, the first part, there's two parts to this mission statement, and we simply decided to go with the words of Jesus in modern English translation in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. The teachers of the law have come to Jesus. The Pharisees had heard that he silenced the Sadducees. So two, there was more sects, but these were the main layman's sects of leaders uh, within the Judaism of the time. The Pharisees heard that he'd silenced the Sadducees, so they assembled together, and they're going to try to trip up Jesus. And one of them, an expert in the religious law, asked a question to test him. And they said to him, verse, chapter 22, verse 36, Teacher, Which of the commandments in the law is greatest? This is a trick question. All the commandments were to be observed equally. But Jesus, being who he was, said to them, The greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. He said, This is the first and greatest commandment. And of course, it's very much like Deuteronomy 6.4, the, uh, the, the, but it goes beyond in terms of actual love. Uh, the shame of the creed of Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. This goes on to this intention of heart. And then he says, this is the first and greatest commandment, verse 39. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. That all of Old Testament law is getting us to learn to lean into the love of God with everything that we are, our being, our substance, our stuff, our soul, our spirit, our thinking, all of it, and to learn to love and to live as neighbors well and help people flourish. To love your neighbor as yourself. These are core. So in defining the mission statement of Pilgrim Church, the team and the board have said, let us first talk about Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, that the great commandment to love God and then to love neighbor, this is the biggest picture, and then we'll drill down next Sunday. What does that look like more specifically locally? And every local church should have this in some way, shape, or form as part of their mission. We exist to love God and to learn to love others as we know that we are loved by him. Say, well, where did that? I think back of that first conversation way back in the days of working with a church merging in and that couple coming to me after service after we talked, preached a lot just on those verses. Well, I don't want to be part of that kind of church if that's the kind of church you want to run, Pastor. The Holy Spirit stopped these words, but what I wanted to say was, well, may the door not hit you on the way out. (laughs) I'm just saying that to you years later. Because when churches are not about this, they become a social club. They become toxic. They get into weird things. I could give you stories about churches in the States that get derailed by politics and forget that their mission is not to be the, the voice of the Democratic or the Republican Party. But churches do get off mission. 
Comfort gets us off mission. Well, if we don't have electric guitar in church, pastor, I can imagine that another 20 years from now or 30 years, maybe more, there's going to be a conversation. If we don't have electric guitar in church, pastor, I just can't worship. We have had electric guitars in church since, since 150 years ago. Oh, dear Lord, help the next generation. I think Christians, we're getting better at this stuff as time goes on, but you never know. The second verse that the vision team and the board affirmed is from Matthew 28. And I'll come back just a little bit and then we'll land this plane, but I thank you for hanging with me this morning. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. These are Jesus' words. After he has risen from the dead, he appears on earth before he ascends into heaven for the final time and he does some teaching. And you have this at the end of the Gospels. And here in Matthew 28, verses 19, he says this. Uh, He said, therefore... Well, let me back up. I'll start at verse 16. It says, So the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain Jesus had designated, where he's going to ascend into heaven as his final farewell to them. He said, When he, they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. He's in his resurrected form. And then Jesus came up and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always till the end of the age. Every church, every local church, every denomination, every independent network, the great commandment and the great commission should be at the core of their big purpose for being, and then they drill down into what that looks like locally in vision and, and other ways. Go make disciples of all nations. Go making disciples. It's better to read that all together as one. Go making disciples of all nations. You'll read when we get into our vision statement and values that we take this seriously and we want to take this even more seriously. Our church is a church mainly of first, second, and third generation immigrants. Almost, not all of us, but almost all of us. God has brought the nations to Vancouver. He has brought the nations to our city. And many of us have family all around the globe, almost every continent, even in this microcosm. How can we continue to grow and have unity unless, of course, we continue to focus on Jesus and celebrate all of the other aspects of culture, but remember that our center is his claim on us. And then he calls us to continue the perpetuation. Go make disciples of all nations. And that going is both going into our neighborhood and going around the world. In various ways. Baptizing them, bringing them into community in the name of God. Not in the name of the preacher's preaching style. Not in the name of what clothing you may or may not wear on a Sunday morning. Some of my Mennonite backgrounds coming through on that. Not whether or not you, well, I could add another one, drove in a buggy or came in the latest, snazziest car. I saw a Bentley out there at the, uh, uh, the uh, Oakville or Oak Ridge Mall the other day with guards all around it. Couldn't even get close to it. I just wanted to smell it and couldn't even get that close. <laughs> they could tell just looking at me, right? Yeah. Uh, not in the name of the instruments. It's electric guitar in my life. No, 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 no. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them. So there's a teaching mission of the church to obey What Jesus commands. We need to dig into the word this year. We need to have a new emphasis on knowing the scriptures, knowing the words of Jesus. And then he promises this. If you stay focused on my mission, my commission to you, 
He started off by saying, all authority has been given to me. And then he tells him at the tail end of this, and remember, I am with you by the power of the Spirit, as we learned last Sunday, to the very end of the age. You want the power of God loose in your life? Get in alignment with Jesus' mission for us and for you. You want your work to be blessed? Get in alignment with his mission for you. Start to see your workplace and your neighborhood as a place where God has sent you as a, as a missionary God, as someone to share the outrageous love of Jesus Christ. Humbly, not we, the church has got it wrong in the past, but that doesn't mean we throw out the whole mission. It means we learn and we learn how to do it more in line with the one who gave it in humility and in love and outrageous life-giving grace. These things are at our center. Simon Chan, in his book, Spiritual Theology, says this, the mission of God is first the extension of the Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three-in-one life, in which the Father sends the Son into the world. And secondly, the mission of the Son is carried out by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit of God is in turn, the Holy Spirit is in turn sent by the Son to continue the mission of the Father on earth. He finishes this by saying the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and Pentecost make up one continuous mission of the triune God. You want to experience the life of the Trinity, the dance of divine love, the power of the, again, I love the phrase. I know it probably irritates some of you, the deeper and older magic, but there it is. He, you want to experience that life? Get on the mission of God. Don't fight over third and fourth level things. Don't be disunified Celebrate diversity as we have a higher source of unity and then we can easily lean into all of those things. And so this morning I say to you, Pilgrim, our mission is very simple, the great commandment and the great commission of Jesus. And in fact, any church you go to that claims the scriptures and orthodoxy, you should find this in some way, shape, or form. It should be a litmus test, in fact, the biggest purpose of why they exist. So what do we do with this? What are the takeouts? How do we apply it this morning? And I'll invite the worship team. I don't know if they're doing something as we close, but they can come on up as we do the takeouts. I don't know about you, but this is important stuff for me. And I get excited about this. And uh, as we drill into our vision next week, I'll probably be beside myself with excitement. But to me, this is stuff that as a pastor, it's so basic, but we leak. We leak vision. We leak mission. We forget We forget it was somebody that cared about this that helped us become Christians or someone in our family become a Christian or some generation past become a Christian. They wrestled with this. So what do we do with this mission statement? Well, I think it needs to be at the top of what we do and who we are. As we talk about these verses and then the vision next week, I think it would be good for everyone who wants to be part of Pilgrim to memorize these passages. Memorize the Great Commission and Great Commandment. When we gather in board meetings and ministry leadings, in leadership meetings and our home church meetings, and when we're discussing what we should do, this needs to be at the top of the heap, saying, is it about this? Does it pass the smell test with Jesus' Great Commission and Great Commandment? If it doesn't, then we have our answer. And if it does, then we got to drill down and ask more questions. But this is the first gatekeeper for these kinds of things. We all need to learn these verses if you haven't. I encourage you to memorize them. If you're a new Christian, there's many verses I would challenge you, but these are good ones. As we start meetings, we should pray through this. We should measure ourselves by this. 
in our personal lives, if we are Christians, we need to ask, how am I aligning my life with Jesus' commission to me as a disciple? If there's zero time in your schedule, if there's no priorities in it, I would challenge you to say, how, Lord, am I supposed to play my role in the Great Commission and Great Commandment? For some of you, it may mean just like the video, you need to start tipping better, you know? I mean, love your neighbor, you know? (laughs) Baby steps, start where you're at. But where in your life do you need to lean into this? So I think with great clarity and with the board and all these leaders that have gone through this, we can say quite clear that the mission of Pilgrim Church is the great commission and the great commandment that Jesus has given us. And it has been that before. This is not new information. It's just a new delivery of the same information. Would you stand with me this morning? Now, if you heard that and it made you angry, I hope it didn't. I hope no one had that. But if you did, now I've had this experience as a pastor as I've shared. I'm going to tell you how to respond. Don't go yelling at somebody. Don't even talk to your best friend or your spouse. You need to take that to the Lord. Because these words are not mine, nor are they pilgrims. They are the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need to wrestle with that, and you need to do some heart work. If you decide to ignore my advice and go try to have one of those conversations like I had early on, pastor, this church isn't for me, about the Great Commission, Great Commandment, I will lovingly continue to challenge you to wrestle with it, and to wrestle with Jesus and the New Testament And quite frankly, I will ask, where are you at with God? Because if God thinks all the same thoughts you do and hates all the same people you do and likes all the same, you're probably not worshiping God. You're worshiping yourself and you're putting him in the place of God. I wanted to end on a happy note, though. (laughs) But this isn't my first rodeo, so I know but I hope in this room that everyone, that no one reacts towards that in a negative way if you claim to follow Jesus, but that our church can begin to have more clarity and alignment as we move forward in the new things. Because the rest is just window dressing. This, oh, as, as someone at prayer meeting last on Saturday said that they were reading their devotions from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, I believe, Minnow Simons loved to quote this verse too, so it really popped out at me when they said it, that there is no other foundation than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation than him and his words to us. So Holy Spirit, move in this house. We have come here to see new life and a new season, and we know that unless it's rooted and grounded in who you are and there's clarity that we'll go a hundred directions an inch versus one clear direction for miles and kilometers. Lord, we repent of times when we have been the ones that have been calling on the terrorist threats and we've been the ones uh, mowing each other down and we've been the ones that have, have you know, been so worked up about everything other than people coming to know you. Lord, we repent of that. Lord, break our hearts, as the World Vision guy said, with the things that break your heart, break our hearts, oh God. 
Jesus said, fall on the rock or the rock will fall on you. Lord, we want to fall on the rock and be broken in that most healthy, holy way. And our source of unity is you. And Lord, thank you that you promise your power and presence when we're about your business. And you will be with us even to the end of the age. We receive that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.